Hey everyone, welcome back. Doug Flutie here. This is the Flutie Flakes cast and it was wild card weekend, super wild card weekend. A lot of great games, a lot of blowouts and guys that really showed their true colors and guys that stood up and just looked amazing. On a personal note, we had the best waves of the year this week. Uh, cold weather, but the, the waves picked up. So, you know, cold weather to me, I'm in Florida. It got down to 60. Oh my God. Um, yeah, but we had a blast out there. Saw some more sharks, had a blast uh, catching some big waves, getting a little beat up. So it was fun. Uh, let's look at the weekend and the, the playoff games. Uh, the most recent playoff game, you got to look at uh, what happened with Kyler Murray in Arizona. Matthew Stafford gets his first win. The, the Rams play great, blah, blah, blah. The pass rush is the determining factor with that team, though, that Stafford didn't have to carry it on the weight of his, you know, his own shoulders. He just made plays when he had to, ran the ball a little bit and throw the football. But it was the pass rush on Kyler Murray. And uh, Kyler looked like a deer, deer in the headlights. He, he looked all sped up to me. He looked like he was very unsure of what he was seeing in front of him, held the ball a little too much. Now, usually he just is so elusive that he can make up for that and take off and run. There are times when the ball's just got to go and you got to win with your arm. But also, I've been in that situation. I'm a very similar quarterback to what Kyler Murray is now. And if things weren't going well, if pass rush was in, I needed to use my legs. I needed to get myself... Give me a couple quarterback draws. Give me even a quarterback trap, something that's hard hitting. Take off and run with the ball and get hit. Get hit. Get yourself into the game mentally. Make a few first downs with those legs to make something happen. And that's something that was I always viewed for myself and I view for Kyler Murray as not a variable. It's not a finesse thing. It's just a pure talent thing. Use your legs. Make a couple plays. Feel good about yourself. Get your confidence rolling. It almost appeared like he didn't want to get hit. Even when he took off and ran, he didn't really want to take the big hit. You know, it would go down. And uh, if you looked at the way Josh Allen ran with the ball, you know, he's it's playoff time. Shoulders down, I'm running hard. And that's what I needed to see out of Kyler Murray to get himself going. And that never happened. So now he's got to win from the pocket or win just moving around, buying time and throwing the football. And with that pass, Von Miller looked great again. Um, Aaron Donald, That that's going to be – they're forced because of their defensive line in the pass rush. The the safety play where he winds up turning into an interception pick six. Quarterbacks are usually taught if there's any opportunity to get rid of that football, you get rid of it because there's a chance grounding may not get called. You want to get rid of the ball. And if they call grounding, it's a safety anyway. If you don't get rid of the ball, it's a safety anyway. So you take the risk of trying to get rid of it and get it in a direction where maybe you can just it, it landed near a running back. It landed near someone. And the problem is number one, that ball should have been thrown. He, he had plenty of time when you're in your own end zone, you hit your back foot, you make your read the balls out again, holding the ball a little too long, not sure what he's seeing. Then he didn't pull the trigger and he didn't move. And sure enough, he got wrapped up and then he was in a position where that, that was just a huge mistake to put the, he put it up with air. He, he threw it upward. The ball hung in the air too long. I mean, if he had just thrown it straight into the ground at the goal line there, um, they would have wind up calling a safety anyway. And that's the play that I think most quarterbacks would try to make there because the penalty for grounding is just marking the ball where you're getting sacked anyway and, and losing the down. Uh, Kyler Murray looked like a rookie playing in his first playoff game and looked a little nervous and a little uncertain and, uh, for a guy that's a top draft choice and a guy that's going to be a franchise quarterback, that's got to be a little, uh, little discerning for the, um, for the franchise. 
the other negative, I'm, I guess I'm starting out on negatives today. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this game. This was so much for the, the Niners-Cowboys game. Jimmy G comes out, plays well. He gets it rolling, and they jump up to the big lead. Uh, Dallas has been up and down all season, and sure enough, they were on a down day. They wind up with 14 penalties and a bunch of other mistakes, drop balls, things like that. But they managed to get themselves back in the game only because San Francisco looked up at the scoreboard, looked at the clock, and decided, you know what, we're really probably not supposed to beat these guys today. Here, I don't really want – Dallas is saying, here, take it. San Francisco is saying – I don't really want it here. You take it back here, here, right on a silver platter, take a shot. And Dallas like, no, that's all right. You're good guys. You keep it. Well, we won't take for Jimmy G to call the quarterback sneak. They decide to go for the quarterback sneak to just ice the game and they get a procedure penalty. That just can't happen. Let the guy get set. There was a shift or the, the, the extra tight end position. I think it was um, an extra tackle uh, lining up just a little slow, getting set. I mean, that's your job as a quarterback. Make sure everyone is set before you snap the ball. This is playoff football. This is your whole season on the line. Just quarterback sneak for six inches, and this game is over. And sure enough, they get the procedure call, and he, he rushes. The quarterback sneak was an easy first down. Instead, of they back up. Dallas gets to the last opportunity. Now you're Dallas, right? You played terribly the entire game. You got 14 penalties. You got drop balls. You got mistakes all over the place. And you're finally scrapping and clawing. They call the quarterback draw. The clock is running. No timeouts. Questionable. I, I kind of like it. I would have gone, honestly, you know, this is me. I would have gone the quarterback draw, got in the middle of the field, put my foot in the ground, thrown a lateral over a receiver's head out of bounds. See if the receiver's got to get his hands on it. Can't just be throwing it out of bounds. If you throw out of bounds, they'll call it making a farce of the rule. They'll run the, they'll run the clock out on you. But you got to make a legitimate attempt to throw it at a guy and just get out of bounds. That's the way I would do that. Okay. Ran the quarterback draw. Back in my day, it wasn't common sense. Usually you put the ball on the ground in the position where maybe the ref will spot it. Now it's common sense to, if receivers have the ball in their hand and they're going to have to go get lined up, they run the ball to an official, hand the ball to the official and run back out to their position. If the quarterback or running backs handle the ball and they're going to have to get behind the offensive line, they hand the ball to the center. The center lines up where he thinks the ball should be spot, but the ball is in hand to hand to the official and the official puts it down. That has been proven to be the fastest way to do it. And it just didn't happen. It was sloppy and, and we can blame officials. And there's got to, there has to be a consistent way of doing this that uh, the officials, I know they're, they're busting their tail to try to get it, but then you see the official bump into the line and you see him bump into the quarterback. He's getting through, he gets the ball. He moves it back and then back forward a little bit or just reach down, touch the ball and get the hell out of the way. Or in the CFL, and I know this, was, this rule would completely change the NFL in the way the last two minutes are handled, but at least it's a consistent, no waste of clock, no variables with officials rule. In the CFL, in the last three minutes, they have a three-minute warning instead of a two-minute warning. And in the last three minutes, at the end of every play, the clock stops until the ball is set. And I know that's a completely different rule. It's similar to what college football does after a first down, but it's done on every play in the CFL. That, like I said, would completely change it. But the, the, the good part of that rule is it's a consistent clock management thing. And it's not on the officials of how fast they set the ball and how quickly guys get lined up and all that. 
it's just so frustrating to watch the NFL level for that stuff to happen both on both sides of the fence there with San Francisco and Dallas, because there's things you can control. That's what's so frustrating. There's certain things you can control. There's so many things that are out of your control, tip balls, things that happen. And, and that's frustrating to watch. On the positive side of the fence, uh, this look at Joe Burrow. I mean, the guy is, he's a veteran quarterback. I mean, he, he just looks unflappable. And I said this from day one about him. He's a cerebral guy. The ball's out of his hands. He makes plays. He's mobile enough to make plays with his legs. Um, no stage is too big for him. Uh, it's similar to, you know what you're going to get. It's similar to the way I look at Tom Brady all the time. He's a young guy that has that potential to be one of these all-time quarterbacks like a Tom Brady that, that just is going to get better and better because he wins the game from the pocket. He knows his protections. The ball's out in rhythm. And he's still athletic enough to make plays. So I, I just really love watching him play. And uh, I draw that comparison of what we saw with Kyler Murray where the athletic quarterback is, and, and myself included in that category, you're going to be up and down. If you're relying on your sheer athleticism, you're, you're going to be a little bit up and down. Joe Burrow is consistent, and it was exciting to watch him play. I'll jump over to Tom Brady now. Tom just came out methodical. Yeah, I say you know what you're going to get. You know, it's consistency. It's bang, bang, bang. It's surgical. First drive of the game, up and down the field, rhythm passing. And that it, it's just amazing to me. He loses weapons all over the place. He's got a big challenge ahead of him with the Rams. I, I really – this is going to be tough. He's lost his two major weapons, two of his major weapons at receiver. Mike Evans, still a stud at receiver, carrying the load. And now he's leaning on Gronk a lot more. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, a tight end, a lot more. Fournette is still not back in action at tailback. So they're minus weapons. Now magnify that by two offensive linemen getting hurt. And this is what you saw in the second half of the game. All of a sudden, pass rush was an issue. Tom got sacked a few times. And that will be an issue versus the Rams. That is very concerning to Tampa Bay. Um, they are, you know, I never would bet against Tom Brady, but this is a tough week for Tom. Uh, it's going to be a tough week for Tampa to, to figure out their protection. If their offensive line is not healthy going up against this Rams defense, uh, that is a, a big order and it's going to be a huge challenge. I've played with Tom. I've seen him when offensive lines can't handle protection where they can't handle this defensive line. I've seen him go into that mode of spread them out and the ball's out of his hand in 1.6 seconds. It can be surgical that way too. They need to be able to make some big plays up the field and they're losing some weapon. They've, they've lost weapons at receivers and they are banged up in the offensive line. So that is going to be a huge challenge for Tampa Bay. The guy that I really want to talk about this week is Josh Allen. Unbelievable. Uh, the two, the last couple of performance against the Patriots, he's been amazing. He was 21 to 25, 308, five touchdowns, never punted, all touchdowns, only had to kneel down this is the only time they didn't score a touchdown against a top five defense in the Patriots, against a team that you know Belichick in the playoffs is scheming things up. You know they're going to come after him. It looked like playoff football to me. There was a sense of urgency when he decides to run with the ball. They did design quarterback runs where he ran tough. He knows it's time to turn it up and, and put it all on the line. And then he's throwing the ball so well and they're making plays. And it was a cold weather game, which was a question mark supposedly for Josh Allen. I think, I think more than the cold weather, it's those windy, windy days that are the hassle. It wasn't crazy windy. It was just cold. And Josh Allen just turned it on. So I, I'm going to jump on the Buffalo bandwagon. In fact, I have a Batman Buffalo shirt on that a friend made for me and had sent to me. I'm kind of jumping on that bandwagon right now. The Bills looking tough to beat. 
And it's going to be so much fun to see them go up against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. It's a tall order. I'm not saying it's a shoe. I, it, I just, it's going to be fun for me. I'm, I'm cheering for Buffalo from here out. And uh, yeah, I'm always going to cheer for Tommy, but you know, he's got a tall order ahead of him too. I, it's going to be fun. I think that the Bills fans really hungry for this to make a run. I thought last year they might make a run. They didn't play their best football. They had a little bit of an up and down season. They had a lull in the middle, but it seems like they found their rhythm again and very exciting to see how it's going to go down in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, coming up, my guest will be LT, LaDainian Tomlinson, a guy that I played with out in San Diego who reminds me so much of, of Walter Payton. Walter Payton was the first tailback I played with in the NFL and actually caught my first touchdown pass. So absolutely amazing the way he stepped in and all the things that he did. He was a complete back in every aspect of the game. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. Well, my next guest, this guy, we played together in San Diego, and I had the opportunity to play with some unbelievable running backs. I mean, I, I started out my career with Walter Payton in the backfield. I played with Thurman Thomas. I'll buffer this by saying I played with Walter at the end of his career. But this guy was the most dynamic, best tailback I've ever played with in my life. Mr. Ladanian Tomlinson, LT, how the heck are you? I'm doing well, Doug. How are you, man? It's good to be on with you. It's been a while. I'm doing good. I, 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 I'm, see, I'm 59 years old now. So all I do is talk about my aches and pains. And you and I were doing that off air. And I get so jealous. You just finish a workout? I did. You know, I have that uh, the mirror where I really love it because you, you can do a variety of different workouts. Like today, I just did a cardio workout. But typically, I'll do a boxing workout, kickboxing, you know, all that kind of stuff, man. I, I still love it you know, kind of mix it up a little bit. The average Joe out there sits on the couch. If they're going to work out, it's all an organ. It's like, I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get on a treadmill. I'm going to do a little, I'll blow it off today. Athletes love to work. It's what we do. It's part of your makeup of who you are. It makes you feel good. Could you imagine not being able to work out? No, I couldn't. And to your point about it makes you feel good. So when I first retired, I, that first month, I didn't do anything. You know, I was just like, man, I'm, I'm retired. I'm not going to do anything. But, man, I felt so sluggish after a month. Like, it was incredible the difference that you feel when you work out versus when you don't. And so once I got back in that routine, man, like, it, it's funny. Like, mind-wise, you know, body-wise, they say physical, mental, all that goes together. And I'm a firm believer because I really believe if your physical is together, you feel good physically, then your mind follows. I know that I agree with you 100 percent. We were all talking just before we came on air. They were we were kind of reviewing that draft that year for the Chargers and in comes LaDainian Tomlinson and Drew Brees. And it's back up before that. Do you remember who won the Heisman your your senior year or the year you came out? I do. Chris Winkie. Chris Winky, we were looking at Hypo and Winky, and then right behind them was Breeze and LT. And I got to play with both of them, and it should have been the other way around. I, I, I look back at your college highlights, and you should have been there. Uh, you should have won that. 
You come into San Diego. What were your expectations for yourself going into your pro career? I just wanted to prove that I can play, Doug. You know, coming from, you know, a mid-major, a smaller school, a Christian private school like TCU, it really was a, a lot of question marks if I can play at that level and play at a high level at, at, at that, you know, professional level. And a lot of questions were all, you know, surrounded by could he take the pounding? of the NFL game. Could he get 20, 25 carries? Can he catch the football? All of those things. So I went in with the mindset, hey, I just want to prove that I belong, that I, I can play. And once, you know, I, I got my welcome to the NFL moment from Junior Say, I, you know, <laughs> I remember yeah. that. And after practice, he came over and said, you know what, kid, you're going to be all right. And that's, you know, that's when I started to believe that, okay, I might be able to contribute on this level you know, with this team. And then, you know, it was, it was guys like yourself and Curtis Conway and Terrell Fletcher that reassured us young guys that, hey, you guys are here for a reason. You, you got to compete and you got to help us win. You talk about carrying the ball 20, 25 times. Those days are over. Oh, yeah. What was the most carries you ever had in the game in, in like in college or something that you 43. remember? 43. In college, I had 43. And I think in the NFL, like 36 or something. I, 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 I joke about that. Herschel Walker and our good friend, Herschel was one of these guys that carried the ball 30 plus times every game, you know? And I'm like, looking at these guys. It's like pitchers that are on this pitch count and they throw, you know, this guy, oh, he's a reliever, can't go over 20 pitches. He's got to go win the game. Right. Go win the game. Once you get to the 20th carry, you know what's going on in front of you. Don't you feel like it, it's, it's a momentum thing that, that happens throughout the game? Yeah, it really does. It's, you know, it's all rhythm. You know, a runner gets rhythm as, as the game goes along. The more carries you get. And the rhythm comes at how quickly I have to hit this line of scrimmage. How quickly, you know, or how long can I be patient while my offensive line move people? Are they moving people today? You know, so all that stuff is played out throughout a game for a runner. Most people think, oh, you just get back there. You just run the football. It doesn't work like that. You have to get a good rhythm of how quickly you need to hit that line of scrimmage and be through the line of scrimmage. And that only happens throughout the course of a game. That, that is an unbelievable point. I've felt that, but I've never really thought about it and put it into words because I always watch guys get better and better as a game went. And it's because you're starting to feel how things are going, where the cutback might be and how's this guy playing, all that kind of stuff. How quickly the defense I, is flowing. You know, some games, those guys are hauling butt play side and it, like you mentioned that cutback is there and you can kind of feel when you should do it because you know in college you can make that cutback three yards behind the line of scrimmage and you're going to be fine you're going to make that run if you make that cutback three yards behind, behind the line of scrimmage in the national football league you're going to be at a three-yard loss because those guys are just going to redirect so fast and and come and get you it's just the rhythm and tempo that you got to learn to play with how much empty were you involved? Were you ever like, I mean, you caught the ball great and you ran. I, I was talking before about how the way you, and I'll get into you know, some of the catches and plays you made as a receiver. So you played some empty. What was your feeling on as an as a elite tailback getting out there in space? I, I really, I enjoyed it, especially when I was able to play in the slot because I knew one of two things. You know, if I looked at the linebacker and he's staring at me, you know, I know he's either got me man to man or he's going to drop in zone toward my way. And it's either him or the safety. Then I take a look at that safety. You know, if he starts to creep down, then they might bracket me. 
you know, he might take me. So, you know, those were the fun nuances throughout the game that you play with. And guys like you, quarterbacks, that's when you start to become, you know, on the same page because you was thinking the same thing. Oh, I know this safety is coming down. He's going to get LT. And then it becomes about, okay, if I'm running the post route, the things that I need to do to beat him, attack that outside shoulder, get inside, here comes the ball. So those were always opportunities, Flutes, to make big plays, you know, whenever we were in empty. We called it F-post. A lot of teams call it F-post. It's really just a little angle route by the back where he comes out of the backfield. It starts, look, it looks like he's going to run a flat, which they run, I don't know, five, ten times in a game. You're going to be running the flat. But you stick that foot in the ground and go with that angle up the field and cut through the inside shoulder. Do you remember a game in Detroit that we played together? I had two angle routes, little stupid F-post to LT, two of them in the first half. What, 130 yards and two touchdowns? Yeah, that was pretty good, right? I remember. Oh, I remember. man, this, I, I love playing with tailbacks that could run around and, and listen to you talk about reading coverage and seeing guys and technique. Tailbacks, especially back in the day, even before you, they didn't, you know, they, they ran their flat route and the swing route, and that was it. And it was so much fun playing with a versatile player. I say I played with Walter. To me, who kind of changed that was Marshall Falk. You know, when Marshall Falk got into the National Football League, he kind of changed the way, you know, running backs were made up. Like, you should be able to do this, do this as well. And for me, he was a, a, a big influencer in terms of teaching me how to do those things. Fortunate for me, Marshall lived in San Diego. So I played a lot of golf with him in the offseason. And, man, I used to pick his brain about running routes. And he showed me so many different things. And that was really the key to me getting better as a route runner was Marshall. I go back to my college days. I had a guy, Troy Stratford, who was a third down back with the Dolphins a lot, played, had some good years and he could run routes. And I say to this day, those guys, those are the matchups. You got your tailback. You can put them here. You got your tight end. Tight end and tailbacks are your guys that can get into a matchup and spread them out. Also, what was your, and I don't know if you would know, how many touchdown passes have you thrown? Um, six, I believe. <laughs> we got to look up at your passer rating. Okay. I want my technicians right. I want guys looking at, at LT's passer rating. Cause I know it blows away breezy. Yeah. I did. Well, well, look, you know, I didn't have as many attempts as breezy. <laughs> That's all right. It doesn't say, get, we won't talk about that. <laughs> I will say Walter has the record, right? Walter Payton has the record with seven touchdowns, I believe. And I got to tell you, Flues, those last few years, I was eating my offensive coordinator up about, man, come on, put this halfback pass in. I got to catch Walter. <laughs> I got to play with both of you. Okay. My first touchdown pass in the NFL was the Walter. Really? He was in the slot. It was the first blitz. I did a sprint out left. And he was in the slot and he ran a deep angle corner. Wow. All right. Which for a running back is, a, is I mean, that's a wide receiver. Yes, route. it is. And the, the defender was outside of him. So I threw it high up and over the top. He had to go over the opposite shoulder in the back of the end zone, wow. catch it and drag his wow. feet. He was, he was the reason I wanted to play running back. You know, Walter Payton, you know, I have his helmet, signed helmet that his wife, Miss Payton, um, sent to me. I have his, his jerseys hanging up, man. You know, he was the man to me. You know, the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Uh, he was. He was fantastic. And I said this, I'll tell you what, I said it the first week you were in training camp, and I don't know if I said it to you, but you reminded me every little bit of Walter right away. Thank you. One of my favorite runs, there were two things that happened. I think it happened on the same play. We're playing the Patriots. 
handoff to you, pretty much a dive type of play. And there were two unblocked guys in the hole. And you started to look like you were going to – and you split them, stayed in the hole, went in and bounced it and went for a touchdown. But did somebody outrun you down the sideline? Do you remember? Tim Dwight did. Yes. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Hey, he came shooting by me. Now, like, I got to say this with the caveat. Man, I was tired at that point. <laughs> you know what I mean? You guys missing the hole, bounced out, and I'm, I'm on my way, and all of a sudden, here comes Tim Dwight flying by me. I'm like, come on, Tim, you made me look bad. <laughs> Tim Dwight had come around on what we call the ghost, a fake reverse. So he's coming from his wide receiver spot around to that side, <laughs> and LT had cut the ball back to that side of the field, and Tim had a rolling start. <laughs> And he now Tim DeWhite's every bit of five foot one. He's like me, all of us. We had a little six foot and under club out. Yeah. And he went down, he threw a block down by the five yard line or whatever. And it's just there, those are fun times for me to remember. And I love being with that group and, and playing with you. And could you imagine when we first got together? I, I Drew Brees doing what Drew Brees has done. You know, I gotta say I was fortunate because I actually saw the evolution of Drew Brees. Uh, we spent a lot of time together in the offseason working out with Todd Durkin in San Diego. And there were some things in the offseason flutes that I started to see materialize in Drew. Arm strength. You know, he always had the, the, you know, the mind to see the game, right? You know, but it was about putting the ball where he wanted it to be, as it is with any quarterback, decision-making, right? But I started to see a guy that was transforming his body, you know, getting stronger, arm strength. And once he took that part, Onto the field, that's when he made his first Pro Bowl. The rest is history. But I, I got to see that transformation from, from him because of how badly Drew Brees just wanted to be a good player. Not great. He just wanted to be a good player. Ended up being an all-time great. If you start thinking there's a finish line, and I've, I, I talked about this a number of times, that I always thought there was a finish line where you become great, you play, you're happy with yourself. And, you're, and I learned it from Tom Brady that, there is no finish line. What's your, what's your favorite championship? The next one. If you start thinking you're the best, you, you stop improving. And that's what you, you saw in Drew. Uh, I saw with you guys in San Diego. Uh, there's a chip on your shoulder. I think that's what it is. It's your Drew went through the injury at San Diego and they gave up on yeah. him. And he moves on. Yeah. So I have a sweet spot in my heart for the guys. That, and, I, and I believe it with you. Did you feel that as an undersized guy that you had something to prove all the time? You talked about it a little bit, but you need something on a daily basis that motivates you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's just being driven from, from within, you know, honestly. And it's always, it's really more about proving something to yourself, right? I started to, to feel like, why, why shouldn't I push myself? I don't know how, how good or great I can be. Why not push myself as far as I possibly can? Why not give every ounce of everything I have in my workouts, on the field, in practice? Why not do that so I can see how good I can be? And it was that constant reminder that I told myself, you're, you're, you're still not good enough. I, you know, the MVPs, you know, 30 touchdowns, you're, you know, that was last year. But it was a constant drive within yourself to prove that you can do it again. 
this particular season. You know, I say that to everybody out there thinks that guys just are are gifted and superstars, and they're all made. exactly. They all work their tail off. They and and it's not just the physical end; it's the mental end and all the preparation that goes into playing and everything. Uh, Ladanian Tomlinson is an NFL Network analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at LT underscore 21. What do you got going on now, LT? What's going on? Idea? Yeah. You know, workout routine, what you got? Well, um, man, I'm, I'm actually pretty busy still doing work at NFL media. I also, uh, I'm back working with the Chargers, you know, so I go to every, every home game. I'm there, you know, interacting with our fans, you know, with our community events, all that type of stuff. So it's really great to be back around, you know, be around the game, be around our guys on the team, the coaches, Dean Spanos and family. Football has given me a lot, you know, and I love it. And so I'm, I'm really at peace at doing that part of it, as well as, you know, my son is 11 now, my daughter is 10. And so we're right in the thick of all the activities, man, going on. You know, and so being a husband as well, Torsha is doing doing wonderful. So life is good, Flutes. I can't complain, man. Are you coaching your son? Is he play? Is it is it an athlete? Yeah. So so my son plays baseball. Believe it or not, you know, like that's mm-hmm. his sport. Smarter, yeah, smarter. <laughs> and you know what? And so like I I you know your kids. My son doesn't have the temperament to be a football player. It's not in him. So. Thank God for that, because I really don't want him to play, honestly. People always say, you know, hey, don't you want your son to play football? No, I don't. No. You know? <laughs> I don't want him to play football. Give him a golf club. Give him a baseball bat. Maybe a tennis yeah, racket. tennis, too. And, and my daughter, they both play tennis as well. My daughter plays volleyball. But they play, you know, he also basketball. So it's it's good, man. And I, I, I'm actually, yeah, I'm coaching his, his baseball team, believe it or not. I believe it. I had, I had more fun last year coaching the little league team. Seeing something you teach a kid and seeing him go on the field and do yeah. it. Yeah. Oh my god! You know, it's like, and they're so proud of themselves. The, all the smile. The only problem is, as and maybe not quite little league, but they get a little older. Then you got to deal with the parents. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's common. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, LT. I appreciate you coming on, and, and I love reminiscing about the old times and. You know, it's just so much fun. And I, I'm very proud of the fact and I talk about you know, the fact that I played with you and Drew and, and the guys that came through there then and, and what you've gone on to do. So proud of you. Congratulations, all the success. I wish you the best. Thanks, Phyllis. And uh, I tell people all the time the story about when I came into the locker room that one morning you had a, a whole drum set in front of my locker because we had talked about playing the drums and I told you I wanted to learn. I couldn't believe it. So that's that's my story that I always tell people about flutes, man. Well, I, I took a lot of grief from uh, Cam over that. Cam Cameron, like it's like this is a football game. We're gonna we're gotta take it serious. There's a there's a drum set in the locker room. I go relax. It's Tuesday. Oh, you know what? Super Bowl's out on the West Coast. I play in a flag football game every year for Wounded Warriors. I'm gonna eye my roster, and if I don't have any talent, I might be called. All right, call me up. <laughs> Anyway, we had some fun, fun times. Love it. I wish you all the best. Appreciate you, brother. Love you, man. I want to thank my good friend, LaDainian Tomlinson, for joining me. LT, you're amazing. Continue to do great things. 
Uh, let's jump over to the Twitter world. Tom, uh, what are the, what's going on out there? What do they want to talk about? Yep. Every week, uh, send your questions or comments to add Doug Flutie on Twitter, as well as you can interact on Instagram as well. Just finish the conversation with uh, LT and a guy that was a teammate of both yours, Drew Brees, who you just mentioned. Uh, let me ask you this one, Doug. What was your best moment with Drew Brees? See, I, I think of Drew and I think of my off the field stuff with Drew uh, for his birthday one year. His wife. Now, now, Brittany tried to fancy Drew up in a hurry. Drew was a kid that's having fun and being an athlete. So, you know, she starts dressing him in nice suits, taking him to wine tasting. these. Th- so for his birthday, I buy him a dozen baseballs and a couple of baseball bats. And he and I go down to a high school field and take BP with each other. And he's like knocking them out of the park. Also, uh, the last day of the regular season, the first year we weren't in the playoffs and uh, I go down, I, I, I grab Drew. Come on, we're going to go play some pickup ball at the Y. And uh, we we're having our breakup meeting that afternoon. So in the morning we go down and we play pickup ball. Drew comes down on a guy's foot, sprains his ankle really bad. I get a gash in my elbow. Of course, I didn't elbow somebody in the mouth. Their tooth hit my elbow, by the way. We're both in the training room. I get six stitches in my elbow. Drew's got ice on his ankle. The season's over. And the coaches are looking at what the hell are you guys doing? My greatest um, memory of Drew or one of my fondest memories was I, I love Drew, first of all, because he had his injury. San Diego gave up on him. And nothing was handed to him. He went back out, got the chance in New Orleans, earned his keep, made it to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. At the halftime of that Super Bowl game, I was texting. I was in a different box. I was texting his wife, Brittany, throughout the game. And Brittany's like, you got to get over here. So I go down and I'm, I was with her and the family when the interception, you know, the whole second half, and the interception happens and New Orleans ices the game. Um, and I just kind of looked at her like, oh, my God, Drew's won his Super Bowl. And it just was an amazing moment for me. I was so excited to be around the family in that moment and see them. They all hustle out of the box. They get down to the field before the game ends to get to an area where they can meet up with the families and, and, and the players. And I was just so happy for Drew in that championship. Yeah, what an absolute legend. And I'm sure he will be in Canton in the uh, very near future. I think that's safe. To say, and what a draft class, right? LT and oh. Drew Brees in the same draft class. We basically got you, two you first round draft, draft choices. Oh, it was it was awesome. I mean, for me as a quarterback, it, it was awesome. I was I was 106 right. years old at the end of my career, but I know I know it's good, and I I still say that. I'm the only quarterback that started ahead of Drew Brees. There you go. Uh, you know, yeah. What can you say? Uh, one guy that kind of his future, I guess, is kind of up in the air. Now, Russell Wilson said he wants to stay in Seattle. He wants to win, you know, more Super Bowls in Seattle, but. What do you think is going to happen with Russell Wilson in Seattle? He's, he's going to go in the transfer portal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> Something he already did, gonna, right? Because he started yeah. at NC State. And yeah, he did that. He did that. Yep. He went up to Wisconsin uh, from NC State. Uh, it just, uh, I think he's going to stay put. I think your best chance to, for him personally to win is there, that he doesn't need a new beginning. Um, there was some rumblings going on for the last year and a half, two years over there. And when he stayed, I'm thinking he's staying. Tom Brady made it look easy. Peyton Manning looked looked easy when he went to Denver, stuff like that. That's not easy. It's not easy to make that big jump, learn a new offense, get to know new guys, start from the ground up. Yes, there's fresh beginnings and you and maybe you're rejuvenated some. It is a difficult thing to do. I think his best option is stay put Stay where you're comfortable. Just uh, maybe you rethink the way things are going on, you know, with the way you're doing things and reassess yourself. I, I think he stays in Seattle. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. Aaron Rodgers, another guy. We'll have to wait and see what happens this offseason. If Green Bay wins or he stays or he goes, 
another guy to keep an eye on. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. NFL coaching world a mess right now. Eight to nine head coach openings right now. Uh, let's just go a little off the beaten path here. Any college coaches you think could make the jump to the NFL, specifically a guy like Brian Kelly, who, you know, obviously is at LSU now. It doesn't mean he's not going to leave in a couple of years, but like a guy like, uh, you know, Brian Kelly or Dabo Sweeney. Yeah. I, I, those are two guys I would, would look at, but um, Dabo's mentality and the way he, his enthusiasm, I think it carries over college football very well. I don't know that that translates to the NFL game. It's a different position. You're a babysitter 24 seven with kids in college. If a kid gets in trouble at 3 a.m. in the middle of April, it's your fault. There's so many moving parts and you need to take care of so many other things that you are a CEO of a program. You are, you know, working alumni, you're doing, and that's something that these guys are great at. And that's why not all college coaches translate. Brian Kelly, I said, is the best at all that he the way he gets like he went to Notre Dame. He got them all on board with his program, the way he wants to do things and all that. That being said, I think Brian Kelly could make the transition. I, I, I know there's other challenges with it. He started out an X and O guy more than anything, always ran the offense. He's an offensive minded coach. I would enjoy being a head coach a lot more at the NFL level than I would at the college level. The college level, all the extra headaches that you have to deal with, uh, he could just focus on football. You know, you still have to trust your coordinators. You have to run the show. You know, you're the you're head of a, the whole franchise as far as dealing and, and delegating authority and all that. So that's a part that Brian's used to. He's also been a hands-on guy at times on offense. I, I think he could translate well. Yeah. And to your point, look at, you know, what happened to Urban Meyer in Jacksonville did not translate well Had a lot of yeah. success in college and did not go you know, well. The guys, the guys that in college just kind of delegate authority and, and go deal with alumni and the PR end of it don't always translate well to the NFL. Yeah. One last one here. You played in Canada and San Diego. Was there one location that you preferred over the other? Yeah, I loved playing in Miami because the humidity allowed me to grip <laughs> a ball and throw it. I loved playing in humidity because I had small hands, right? So that's why in cold weather, I end up going to glove a lot. Um, I, had, I didn't have big hands, but I did have strong hands for my grip. So that was always my mate. When we played in Arizona, I hated it. Arizona, dry weather, blah, blah, blah. So it was difficult to handle the ball. Um, as far as Canada, I, I love my days in Canada. You dealt, I learned to deal with 50 to 70 mile an hour winds in Winnipeg and Saskatchewan and Calgary and, and all the little nuances of the game that actually played to my abilities, not because I had a big arm and could throw the ball in the wind, but because of the athleticism running with the football in those conditions, I always felt like I had an advantage because I could take off and run when other people were having trouble completing passes. San Diego, I always looked at as my reward at the end of my career. Okay, Doug, you've played in Chicago, New England, Buffalo, eight years in Canada. I've always played in nasty cold weather. It was like, okay, at the end of your career, go ahead, have four years in San Diego, enjoy. I loved San Diego, the city. Uh, it was the first time I had a grass field as a home field, which was awesome. Although for some reason, that field was always hard as a rock. And it had the baseball field on it. We played at the old Murph. I don't know if it was called, Qual I think it was Qualcomm at the time, but we still called it the Murph. I loved my San Diego days, even though we didn't win. Um, but uh, actually the last year we were a playoff team. With, real with real quick Porter. on San Diego, is that where you started surfing? Is that how you got into surfing when you were out there? You know, not really. I, I went down to the beach like three times in San, I'm a, I was a Florida kid. 
I got to the beach in San Diego. The water's cold. The Pacific Ocean is cold. The Atlantic or down in Florida, it's like bathwater. Um, so I didn't really get it when I got into it. When I got into surfing was I did. I was working for NBC and we went to do the Pro Bowl in Hawaii. The pro surfers were there. Kelly Slater um, and the, they were doing the eddy, but they're waiting for the big waves to come. So they did a thing with NFL guys, uh, pro surfers teaching the NFL players how to how to surf. So Tony Gonzalez, Drew Brees and myself went and I had Kelly, my first wave I ever call it Kelly Slater pushing me into a wave. Kelly Slater, by the way, world famous surfer, I think 11 time world champion. I don't know, but just in case our football crowd doesn't know surfing. Um, And that was like the biggest thrill in the world for me. I got so excited. And then I took up surfing and I almost killed Kelly. The first wave, the first wave Kelly Slater pushes me into I'm a little too forward on my board. I take the drop, nose goes into the water. I fall, board shoots back at Kelly. Now he's sitting on his little five, five, eight short board, whatever he's got. And he sees the board coming. He lifts his board up to protect himself. My board hits his board, cracks his board in half. And uh, he, I was so apologetic. I'm like, oh my God. He's like, dude, I got about a thousand of these things. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. But I almost killed the world's best surfer. And he was thinking, never again, I will do this with a football never, player. Yeah, yeah, he was again. really nice. Of, he was really nice about it. But you know, it was like this. Can you believe this guy? Exactly. Thanks again for your Twitter questions. Uh, really enjoy talking about what you want to talk about. So uh, keep them coming. And it creates conversations. A lot of times sparks a memory for me. And I go on my own tangents. But love the questions. Keep them coming. It's keeping on these playoff games. And uh, I think I'm jumping on the Bills bandwagon and I have not taped my ankles, so I'm not jumping off. Uh, And remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Crest. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Cliff Augustin. Special thanks to SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks again for listening to the Flutie Flakes cast and join us again next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.